your Bibles, uh, join me as we look at Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2, verse 1 uh, to 2. And it'll also be on the screen, so uh, you could follow along there. We are continuing our studies, uh, our study in the book of Malachi, Malachi 2, 1 through 2. And it says, and, it says, and now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you. I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. So here we see uh, an importance in honoring God's name, and we'll talk about that. But before we get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help me um, speak concerning your word. Help me divide and present your word in an honest manner with, with integrity, representing what you want to communicate to your people to encounter church. Please help me say and the tone and everything that I do, Lord. Please help me communicate what you want to communicate. Let it be you who speak who speaks, not me. I pray that the hearts of this church may be open for what you have said through Malachi and what you are speaking today. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. During the time of Israel, there was this social class, this career or role. It involved, this role involved leading the nation of Israel in worship and devotion to God. They were intermediaries between the people of Israel and God. And they served as leaders and advisors. They are known as priests. You can see a picture of what they could have looked like. Israel's priests were supposed to take care of the temple. The priests were responsible for offering sacrifices, for maintaining the temple, and also preparing education. The priests of Yahweh, of God, performed sacrifices. They, they, they provided counsel and instruction. And that's somewhat the role of Christian ministers. We pastors, leaders, and servants of God are supposed to make sure that the body of Christ have a, have a place to worship Jesus. We are also responsible for providing counsel like the priests and instruction to help you serve our God. And it's sad what happened with Israel, with the priests of Israel, because the priests, they, they weren't models of, of what the Israelites were supposed to be. They, the priests weren't like the, the type of people that you would want to follow. They were not giving their best. The priests, their hearts wasn't in the right place. Um, and when we, when we think about the heart, we might just think about emotion, but in the Hebrew understanding, heart the heart means more than just emotion. The heart and the minds of the Israelites also included reason. The Israelites had determined inside their hearts, their feelings and reason, that they need to honor God's name. They, they hadn't determined, rather. They were not honoring God's name. They were supposed to, but they weren't. When we say we... That we want to honor the name of, a parents, of our parents. What, what do we mean? 
Well, we mean that we want to, for people, we want people to look at us and we want them to, to think of our parents and think good things, think that our parents raise good children. We don't want to dishonor the name of our parents. We don't want to corrupt the name of our parents. So people don't say, oh, they're the, they're the parents of so-and-so uh, because we are bad children. No, we want to be the best. We want to do the best so we could honor the name of our parents. Sadly, the priests of Israel had dishonored the name of their heavenly father, of the Lord. When people looked at God, they would think, oh, this is the God who had the priests who who didn't even give their best to him. This is the God whose priests offer cut-rate sacrifice. They would give the worst of the worst instead of giving the best. They weren't honoring the name. Of God, And therefore people thought, if these are his priests, then I couldn't care less about this God. He doesn't seem to be a God who is holy, who is powerful. We need to remember as the priest should have remembered. We need to remember that our God is holy and that his name is holy. And we need to remember that we need to honor his name with our lives. What kind of God do you serve? Does your life reflect the God of the Bible or a God that you have made up, a God whose name does not deserve honor? The God of the Bible deserves honor. His name deserves honor. And the nation of Israel, the priests of Israel, had not given the honor God deserved. And you know what? You know what God does with the Israelites? He, and sometimes we, we, we think that we have this pretty picture of God and he is beautiful. He is majestic. His goodness is beyond measure. But God is a God of holiness. He is a holy God. He is the Lord Almighty, the Lord of, horse, of, of hosts, the Lord of, of the armies. He is holy. So worthy of worship and honor because of his might because of his goodness because of his majesty because of his wisdom because of his love he is worthy of worship and honor and because the israelites had failed to worship god they would be cursed when we think of god we might think that god just blesses but no he also curses he curses things that are wrong and look at how intense his curse is this picture is, is pretty crazy. Go to the next verse, Malachi 2, 3, and the picture that Malachi depicts is pretty intense. Because of you, because they were dishonoring the name of God, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. I will smear, this is God speaking, I will smear on your faces the dung from your your festival sacrifices. The sin is not, the sin of of not glorifying God is, is gross. So Malachi used elements from a farm culture to, to describe how disgusting it was. 
the dung of the animals, the, the contents of the stomach, which remained after the sacrifices, the dung that shouldn't even be in the temple in the first place. It should have been clean. It shouldn't have been on the altar. This dung would be smeared on the faces of the priests. It's kind of poetic justice. The Israelites were treating God like poop. And because they treated God like poop, they get poop smeared on their faces. And because of the dung on their faces, the priests would no longer be priests. According to the law, they would be ceremonially unclean. I don't know whether this smearing is literal or a figure of speech. I'm leaning that it's a figure of speech. But the point is that God would make a public display of the priest's disgrace. It's crazy. But the sin of dishonoring God is a big deal. Seriously, we, we, we need to honor God. I mean, look at what he has done to us, done for us. He has created us. He has given us life, life through his son, given us blessings beyond, beyond what we could count. And then, and then we just dishonor him. It's, it's crazy. And, and you know, God has done wonderful things with the Israelites, particularly with the priests. Look what he did. He, in verse 4 to 5, he said, And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant, he made a covenant with the priests, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for, my, for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe. Of my name. God had made a covenant with the priests of Israel. You could learn more about the covenant in Numbers 25, 10 to 13. I won't read it because it's kind of lengthy, but the point is that God made a covenant with Phineas, a, a grandson of Aaron, the brother of Moses. He was a priest, and with his covenant, it was a, it was a covenant of peace, and it indicated that the descendants of Phineas would serve as priests. And this covenant was all because this person, Phineas, was zealous. He was, he was hungry and honoring God, and it's a beautiful picture. But generations after Phineas, after this, this leader, the descendants of Phineas no longer honored God. And it's tragic. We started off with somebody that was zealous, hungry, and honoring God. But then generations later, we see that the priests are treating, are dishonoring God, are treating God like trash. Phineas' attitude was so different from the attitude of his sons. Phineas stood in awe of God's name, but the priests, during the time of Malachi, did not fear God. They dishonored the covenant with God with their carelessness. So we're talking about covenant. And this may sound foreign to us because we really don't talk about making covenants nowadays. Nowadays, what, what does this even mean? Well, in the original language of the Bible, in the Hebrew, the word is berit. It's a, it's a covenant, and it could be translated as an agreement or an arrangement. But when God uses it in relation to humanity, it takes a deeper meaning. It's a sacred bond between two parties, and it's ratified by swearing an oath. It's different from a, from a contract. Uh, one definition from a Bible dictionary says this. 
Contracts are made by the exchange of promises. Whereas covenants are are sworn by solemn oath. In application, contracts are limited by the terms of exchange of property. This is yours, that is mine. While covenants involve an exchange of life. I am yours, you are mine. Which covers, a, which covers a virtually unlimited range of human relations and duties. In terms of motivation, contracts are based on profit and self-interest, while, while covenant contracts are based on profit and self-interest, while covenants call for self-giving loyalty and sacrificial love. Contracts are temporary, while covenant bonds are permanent, even intergenerational. I really like the part where it said that the covenants involve saying, I am yours and you are mine. It calls for self-giving loyalty and sacrificial love. Bidiet, that's what a covenant is. And God had made a bidiet, a covenant with the Israelites. He made a covenant. He he made a bidiet. And God was saying to the priest, I am yours and you are mine. He gave his loyalty and sacrificial love to them. And yet the priest dishonored his name. Through Christ, we have been given a covenant relationship. Maybe you remember the Last Supper. Jesus said that through his blood, he has made a new covenant. Because of this covenant that Jesus had established, we can have a wonderful relationship with God. But even though God gives his sacrificial love, we dishonor him. And we should repent of this. God was going to curse the priests. But he didn't give up on the priest. He would send the curse to help the priest return to their covenantal relationship with God. Sometimes our parents would discipline us. It may appear as a curse for us that our parents were uber strict. But the discipline, the discipline, the, the curse can help us remember how we are to honor God, how we are supposed to live. God may curse some blessings so that we could remember who we are and who he is. That's what he did with the priests. The priests were supposed to remember their father, Levi, who was the grandfather of Phinehas and how he lived. What, he is the model priest. What are priests supposed to do? Malachi 2.6. True, true instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked With me in peace and uprightness. And turn many from sin. The patriarch of the priest. This priest honored God. And gave true instruction. The Hebrew word for instruction is Torah. With the Torah we might think of the law of Moses. You might think of legalism. Like we have to do these certain things to receive blessings in our life. But no... The Torah was the direction, instruction, law, law that God had given. It's a rule of life. It's the way that the Israelites were designed to live. And the job of the priest was to give true instruction and nothing false from their lips. 
They were not only supposed to say holy words of God, but they were also supposed to do holy actions, live godly lives. This priest, the model priest, uh, Aaron, he, he walked in peace. Levi, I mean, he walked in peace with God and helped many turn away from sin. As a minister of God's word, this is my goal as well. I want to bring true instruction. For the instruction to be true, I must teach what the human authors of the Bible intended to say. I can't show partiality. I can't be self-seeking or lazy. I need to do my due diligence. Therefore, I may spend hours upon hours to pray and study the word and meditate upon it. I don't say this to gloat, but I want you to know that, that it's important to revere the Bible and make sure that we divide it correctly. Look at what people have said, what God's community have said about the word of God and strive to depend on God while we're looking at the Bible and make sure that we, what we're saying is true. I want to give you the truth, nothing false. Therefore, I, I preach the Bible instead of my own opinion and I hope that through the teaching of the Bible, it could help you turn away from sin. And I hope that it's not only through my words or any leader I hope that any person who divides the Bible, that they could help us, help Christians change, turn away from sin. Not, because of, not just because of what they preach, but, but also because of their lifestyle. And this, this should be true for me and any teacher or preacher or, or parent or aunt or uncle or cousin or any role model. Not only through our words, but through our actions. Verse 7 says... For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. And people seek instruction from his mouth. The role of a priest, even of a minister, is to preserve knowledge. We are not trying to make something up, something new. But rather we are messengers of the Lord. Malachi, whose name means messenger, my messenger, what was he doing? He was relaying a message. A message that God had given him. That's the role of any messenger. We don't make knowledge. We don't make new stuff. We preserve knowledge. We are messengers of the Lord. And we give the people the Torah of God. The instruction of God. Because that's what brings life. As the psalmist said in Psalm 1, 1 through 2, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night but whose delight is in the Torah, the instruction, the law of the Lord. And he, he, the one who is blessed meditates on the Torah of God day and night. The instruction of God is so good. We need to meditate on it. We need to think about it. We, we need to preach it. But sadly, the priest didn't instruct the Israelites the Torah of God. Malachi 2, 8 through 9. But you have turned from the way. 
from the way of God. And by your teaching, instead of helping the Israelites, by your teaching, you have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Israel, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. The priests had left God's way. They left the lifestyle God had given them. They taught things that caused the Israelites to stumble. It's as if I taught you things that would cause you to fall, to leave God. And that's a horrible thing. No priest or minister of God should desire to do that. But that's what the priests of Israel were doing during Malachi's time. They violated the covenant, the relationship with God. You know, Sometimes we, we read the cursings of God and we see the judgment of God and we're like, God, you're, you're crazy. This just sounds unreasonable. But, but look at how the priests were acting. It's crazy. God had delivered Israel from Egypt, blessed them, and the priests continued to show partiality and taught things that were contrary to God's word. They would follow some of the rules when it benefits them. The failure of the religious leaders had caused problems within the nation of Israel, within the family of Israel. And now we're moving to the next section. So the first was about priests and their failure. The second is related to the first. The second section is about the family of God and how the Israelites were horrible to one another. Malachi 2.10, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? God had made the nation of Israel. When he told Abraham that he would make out of him a large nation, he, he created them. God was their one father. Who had created them. God had created each Israelite. Because the Israelites all had God as their father. The Israelites were siblings to one another. They were a family. God was their father. And the Israelites were siblings. Brothers and sisters. Unfortunately. The Israelites were dishonoring God. By what they did to one another. God cares about how his children treat each other. We have been adopted to God's family because of Christ. God is our father who has given us a rebirth experience. That's why we could pray, as I said last time, we could all pray our father who art in heaven because God is our father and we have a wonderful relationship with God because he is our father through Christ but because God is our father, we're also part of a new family. It's not just about our relationship with God, but it's also about our relationship with one another. Christianity is not just about how we relate to God, but also how we relate to our fellow brother or sister in Christ. We are a family. And we should honor our heavenly father by honoring our, heavenly, our earthly brothers and sisters. Sadly, the Israelites had dishonored one another. The family was dysfunctional. 
the Israelites were unfaithful, not loyal to one another. Here, here, here's one way that they were disrespectful to one another. And it's not the way that you might think about. This is how they were unfaithful in the family, unloyal. Malachi 2.11, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. Judah had become synonymous with Israel, and it had messed up. The Israelites had desecrated the sanctuary. They had defiled the holy place of God. They had made the temple unholy, robbed it of its significance. All because the men of Israel were marrying women who worshipped foreign gods. The literal translation of this is daughter of a foreign god. And it refers collectively to women outside the community of faith. Foreign pagans who worshipped a god other than the true god. The problem wasn't the integration of multiple, multiple cultures, but rather the problem was the mixing of religion and spiritual commitments. We're getting into marriage. I don't consider myself someone with experience. I only have about a month being married. But I do know what the word of God says. And as a minister of the word... I will do my best to present accurately what the prophet Malachi proclaimed. From the outset, it's important to note that what Malachi was saying, it was addressed to the Israelites who lived over 2,000 years ago. The Israelites messed up because they had married people who had foreign gods. They didn't worship Yahweh. They didn't worship the God of the Bible. Look, marriage is important and who you worship is also important. Marriage encompasses, it influences all areas of life. You, you think about the person often. And in the times of Malachi, the wives would influence their husbands to worship false gods. It was so serious that Malachi declared that if this married man the man who had a foreign wife, went to the temple. Don't let him in the temple or into God's community. Malachi 2.12, As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. It was a serious thing to marry these the merry wives who had foreign gods. It was serious. And, and now we, we don't live in Malachi's time. So we're not a nation like Israel. So, so if you marry someone who is not a Christian, you're not barred from entering the church. But I, but I think there's wisdom in the words of Malachi. Your spouse has a great deal of influence over your life, whether you like it or not. Before marrying somebody... Before marrying somebody, you should really consider what that person believes because it will affect your life to one degree or another. As a general rule, I, I wouldn't marry, and I didn't, anyone who was not a Christian because Christ is central to who I am. And, and thankfully, God provided a wonderful, beautiful woman of God. And, uh, and I, I give you all the same, same advice if you're, if you're not married already. Consider, consider who you marry. 
A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you're dating or talking to people, think about their faith. Is it going to draw you closer to God? Or is it going to push you further away from the one who gives you life? These are things to consider. Obviously, don't don't just consider their faith, but also their character, personality, values, and interests. There are Christians with horrible personalities. But still, we should consider what other people believe. Unfortunately, the Israelites married wives with foreign gods. Maybe they thought, as some of us have thought, oh, they don't believe yet. I'll change them. It's unlikely, buddy. The Israelites were influenced over. And here's another problem that occurred with the, with the Israelites. And it was another family problem. Malachi 2, 13 to 14. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accept them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, Why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. The Israelites were crying at the altar, and God wouldn't answer. He wouldn't accept their gifts. Sometimes we think, oh, if we cry enough, God will answer. And he doesn't care how I'm treating others. I, I could treat my wife like trash, and if I cry, God will answer. But no, God cares about how you treat others. God cares about how you treat your spouse. The Lord God is the witness between you and your spouse. Since the very beginning, when you married or if you're going to get married one day, you you make a covenant with your spouse. And hopefully you recognize that it's before God and God is your witness. And he's been there since the very beginning. And he, he sees whether you are following your covenant. He sees what you are doing. The Israelites, they they were unfaithful to their partners, to the ones whom they had made a covenant with. Remember again, marriage is a covenant. And the word that we learn for covenant is berit. It is a covenant. Berit. It's what we have with God, this relationship with God. But we also have it in marriage. In marriage, both parties is not so much of a contract, but it's more than that. Both parties have exchanged lives. They say, you are mine and I am yours. And it's not about profit or self-interest. It shouldn't be about accumulating property, wealth, or status. It should be about making a promise with the one to whom you will give selfless, loyal, selfless loyalty and sacrificial love. Sadly, the Israelites were not honoring their part of the covenant. They weren't giving sacrificial love to God or to their spouses. And God cares about that. The next verse is hard to translate. The the NIV states, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. 
So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. But all of these translations, you could see up here in the next slide. It's hard to see, but you can see the blue sections. So the blue sections are just different renditions. So they, some other translations, they translate it differently. If you looked at this verse in different translations at home, you could see that some of them have different translations because it's hard to translate. In Hebrew, it, it, it says, which it, that beginning part, the blue part, it's a, it's a hard, hard verse uh, to translate. Um, it literally, literally means not one he made. Um, so translators wonder whether the one is referring to God, because earlier the prophet said we have one God and Father, or one is referring to the marriage covenant. I haven't spent nearly enough time to conclude what translation is best, but I think that the correct version is the one the CSB presents. Again, I'm not sure. The more I study, the more work I realize I need to do. But anyways, the CSB. Didn't God make them one? All right. This couple, he made them one. And give them a portion of spirit. What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. God made Adam and Eve one. That's the picture of marriage. God could have given Adam many wives. He had the power to do it through the spirit. But yet God made one wife for Adam, Eve. This was because he was seeking a godly offspring. So from this idea, Adam and Eve are one. God said that was enough, that that was very good because it was enough to bring a godly offspring, to raise a family. From this idea, Malachi argued that husbands should, expect, should, should accept how God designed things. Divorce is contrary to how God designed things, as is polygamy. Let's continue, Malachi 2.16 the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your God, be on your guard, and do not be unfaithful. This is one of this verse is also hard to translate, but in Hebrew it just says hate. Is it talking about God hating or man hating? Hating God hating divorce or man hating his wife? And we're just going to rely on the NIV. We need to take this verse within its context. I think that we could all agree that for the most part, divorce is not good. Or even the events that lead to divorce are not good. At times, the events that lead to divorce are actually worse than the divorce itself. Divorce is not part of an ideal world. Divorce is a result of sin. And it's something to repent about. In a perfect world, there would be no divorce. Since all those who made a covenant, made that promise, that special promise with their spouse, would honor their promises. Marriage should be unbreakable. Divorce should not happen. Certainly, the Bible permits divorce because of the brokenness within the hearts of people. But it does not advocate or condone it. It's permissible because of sin, because of our brokenness. But it's not the ideal picture that God has. In Israel's time, the social consequences of divorce were horrible. A wife didn't work back then. 
Without a husband, they would be alone, poor, homeless, and maybe even a prostitute. Fortunately, today we have a more egalitarian society, so women are free to be whoever God has called them to be without being bound to a man. But during Israel's time for for protection, women needed husbands to protect them. But the worst part is that Israel's men didn't care about their spouses, didn't care about the well-being of their wife, didn't care that their wife would suffer violence or injustice if they got a divorce. And God hates that. He hates the man who both hates and divorces his wife to leave the wife vulnerable. And again, context is key. Today, if you're leaving your wife, which you shouldn't do, but you're not leaving a woman vulnerable as she would be vulnerable during Israel's time. But you should still strive to honor the covenant that you have made to your wife and to God. Men were and still are supposed to protect their wives. Of course, women are able to take care of themselves and protect themselves as they did years ago. But we, husband and men, should strive to protect the ones that we love. And the Israelites weren't doing that. They were just, if they wanted to date somebody else, they would just go out and date or marry some other people, maybe even foreign wives. And what's the worst thing is that the Israelites were saying that the evil that they were doing was actually good in the eyes of God. The last verse, Malachi 2.17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And he is pleased with them. With them. Or where is the God of, injust- of justice? The Israelites have wearied the Lord. Imagine that. One scholar noted that weary can refer to being physically tired because of prolonged labor and travel or other activity. Like Elida and I, we were tired yesterday because we rid our bikes, but but, uh, we were riding our bikes, and that made us pretty tired. But that's not the type of weariness that we're talking about here. Weariness could also talk about emotional disturbance, like when you're annoyed and and you're just exhausted, and it can happen because of persistent stresses, sorrows, or trials of life, and you just become weary and tired. And that's the type of tired that the Lord was experienced because of the prolonged and unpleasant activities of Israel. The Israelites had said that those who were leaving their wives, those who worshiped foreign gods, those who showed partiality, those who did evil, those who dishonored God, those people are actually good in the eyes of God. They believed that the Lord was pleased with them. Why do they say this? Well, they say this because they don't see God's justice. They, they see these evil men who get hundreds of divorce, who show partiality, and they see that these Israelites are thriving, maybe, maybe material, with material, they're, they're prosperous. And they think, if God really cared, he would bring justice. Why is he letting these people who supposedly are, are hurting the vulnerable, why is he letting them just thrive in this world. And maybe this is a sentiment that we all have. We see people who get divorces, who have a different lifestyle than us, 
And maybe in our eyes, they appear to be blessed. So we say that it's good for them to do evil because they're happy. Obviously, if God was a God of justice, he would bring judgment to those who hurt others. This is an interesting sentiment, and unfortunately, we don't have time today to get into that now, but we will next week. We will see that God is still a God of justice, even though these people are thriving. And even though it seems like presently he's not a God of justice, he's still working in the invisible. And in the end, all will see that God is just. We will also see redemption and change. The Israelites could turn from their evil ways because the Lord will come. And we know the Lord has come, that he has arrived on this earth. We know that the Lord who could change hearts has arrived, and that Lord is Jesus. He introduced a new way of living, a new way of living with others And if you want your heart to change, Malachi speaks in the following chapter, and we'll look at it next time, but he speaks of hearts changing because the Lord has come, and he could change our hearts. If he could change the hearts of the Israelites who were cheating, who were unfaithful, who were preaching bad things, he could change our hearts. And I pray that if you want to change, you will go to him. And you say, Jesus, I give you my heart. Do what you want with it. Let his spirit change your life. And I pray that you may encounter his forgiveness. You can encounter it. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting with us. And I pray that with Malachi chapter 2, that people may gain an appreciation of your name and see the importance of revering it and honoring it. And also an appreciation of your, your Torah, of your word, and what it teaches. It teaches us to love one another and care for one another. Let us be thoughtful of, what, of the type of spouse that you want us to have if we are not married. That we seek your guidance in that. And I pray that when we make that covenant or if we've already made that covenant, that we may honor the promises that we made, that we may show this type of love where we say, I give you my whole being and you give me yours. And we do our best to honor that, Lord. And if we have failed, Lord, I pray that we may encounter forgiveness, experience your forgiveness. Jesus, you change our hearts. Your spirit, it it, it, just renews and cleanses our hearts. And I pray that it may continue to do that throughout the rest of our lives and within the service. May we worship your name. And through this singing, through this song, we may just honor your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.